Burfaro, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. It's our heart to study God's Word that we might be able to rightly divide it, applying it to where we need to apply it. Now, it's really good to have you guys join us. If you have a question today, then you can write the word question out and uh, then write your question after that, write the word question, then write your question after that. Make sure that it makes sense and uh, we will take it from we'll take it from there. Make sure that it makes sense and uh, reread it a couple of times and then go ahead and submit your question. All right, so our first question was submitted a while back uh, and uh, this question is simply, what is the doctrines of demons? So the Bible tells us that in the last days, there are going to be those who are going to teach doctrines of demons. By the way, good to see you guys logging on. Uh, always good to have you here with us in our Q&As. Our desire is to study God's Word that we might find out what the truth of the Word of God is. I want to pull up my, um, uh, what do I got here? I want to pull up. Uh, yeah, there we go. Doctrines of Demons. I put together uh, some scriptures a little bit earlier on this question, what are the doctrines of demons? So I want to go ahead and bring this up on the screen for you. So uh, here we have a passage that helps us, that, that references it. And we've got a couple passages that help us to understand what the doctrines of demons are. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So the deceiving spirits are demons and they have doctrines. We know in the Old Testament times that the false gods of the Old Testament had demonic spirits behind them. Also, we know that the, the God of this world blinds the eyes of those who do not believe. And so in the last days, there's gonna be doctrines of demons. In 1 John 4, 1, it tells us, uh, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We know that the scripture was inspired, breathed by God, by the Holy Spirit. And behind true, real doctrine is the Holy Spirit. When we believe something that is correct, it's because the Holy Spirit has brought it to us and God's Spirit works through the Word of God and in our hearts so that these things begin to connect and begin to make sense. The doctrines that are false doctrines are doctrines of demons. There are demonic spirits that are actually behind these false teachings. Let me give you another verse. This is 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, the passage before this says that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. He doesn't show up in darkness and covered in darkness, but he shows up as an angel of light. And then uh, his ministers do the same thing. They look like preachers, they act like preachers, they talk like preachers. You watch them on TV and they're quoting the Bible. But when you're listening to what they say, they're saying something that is different. They're saying something that isn't biblical. And there are demons behind these teachings. They are doctrines of demons. So what are these doctrines of demons that are gonna cause men to fall away? Well, the passage tells us that it's legalism to some degree, forbidding to marry, forbidding to eat food that God has given us to take with thanksgiving. But I also believe that doctrines of demons are things like progressive Christianity, which deny the resurrection, which deny the power of God. 
The Bible says that in the last days, men are going to going to have a form of godliness, but are going to deny the power. And I think we're seeing these things today. And again, they are things that tell us of the last days. So again, it is good to see you guys. I appreciate your questions. I appreciate uh, communicating with you guys through the comment section on YouTube. Uh, and it's good to have you joining us. Fact Check These Hands has the first question again today. Um, and let's see. Yeah, we got Facebook and YouTube on here. So Fact Check These Hands says, and I got my font adjusted so I can see it better. Hopefully you can as well. Question, have you seen the video by archaeologists of demonic sounds coming from under um, Eupathrit's River Dam. What do you make of it? Nope, I haven't seen it, but I will, um, I will take a look at it. Um, I'm thinking about whether I should try it or not now. I have the, I can, I can look something up and then I can play a video on screen for you guys. I haven't really messed with it that much. Um, I think I'll do it later on, but, uh, maybe we'll do this at our next, why do we do this at our next Q&A? This will be our first question, and I'll bring up the um, the sounds, and we'll play them, and then we'll talk about them together, all right? So I haven't heard of it, so I don't know what I'm getting myself into, as I promise that on Wednesday, uh, we're going to be having this as our first question, um, these demonic sounds played under the Euphrates River Dam, all right? Thank you. Fact check these hands. I appreciate that. That'll give you guys a reason to come back on Wednesday as well. Uh, our second question comes from Jari. Jari says, question, why did Goliath fall on his face instead of backwards? Most people fall forwards, fall backwards, but he fell on his face. Um, was this a miraculous sign? No, I don't believe it was a miraculous sign, Jari. Um, you know, when the way someone falls when they're hit, who knows? Uh, where exactly, the, the, the rock struck him between the eyes? He was struck. Maybe it took him a couple of minutes to figure out that it was. Um, to be honest with you, I've never even noticed that he fell forwards instead of backwards. But I don't think that we would make anything out of that. Um, I'm not saying that people don't, because people will try to make things out of all kinds of things that are out there. Um, that would be just one of the areas that I would want to be careful when I'm searching scripture. You're looking for things that means something. And so you might end up putting emphasis on places where there should not be an emphasis instead of the plain teaching of scripture. The Bible makes sense. We don't wanna look for any other sense that isn't there. We certainly don't wanna to add to the word of God. The more we look to, for things to be able to expound on as if it means something else, the more possibility there is that we're going to be making a mistake uh, when it comes to uh, the Word of God and dividing the Word of God. So we want to stay true uh, to what's there as we take a look at um, as we take a look at God's Word. So our third question today comes from Psychman. Psychman 45 says, um, those say they're Jews but are of the synagogue of Satan, which is something that we covered in Revelation, um, the church of Smyrna, uh, this passage is said to them, they were the suffering church. It says this is intense, um, reminiscent of pre-Paul sale type people and the figurative synagogue like the opposite 
of Christ's church. Think think so? Maybe. Um, yeah, psych man, I would think that when, when we look at that passage where he calls the, the, the synagogue in Pergamum, no, excuse me, the synagogue in Smyrna and in Philadelphia, the synagogue of Satan. And I said in my study last Wednesday night that I, it was sad that I had to say this, but it doesn't mean that all the synagogues that are out there are the synagogues of Satan. There are those that have tried to identify Jewish people as being part of the synagogue of Satan. And I see this as the growing anti-Semitism that is out there. But the, the enemy is the accuser. And the, the Jews in the synagogue in Smyrna, and it seems Philadelphia, were slandering the church with a bunch of lies. And they were already impoverished. They were already struggling. They were going to be persecuted in even greater ways. And the slander was hard for them to take. This was tribulation to them. So the reason he calls them synagogue of Satan is because Satan is the accuser. They were doing the job of Satan by accusing and slandering. And so when we as Christians are accused and slandered by someone, I think that we could call that group the group of Satan, whatever it would be, because they're doing the job that Satan is doing. They're really inspired by Satan, which is the case, I think, with the synagogue in Smyrna and the synagogue in Philadelphia. To try to make that a larger case that all synagogues in the world are of Satan is what I was speaking against there. And um, psych man, I do think um, it, it could be spoken of as, as people or groups that end up slandering the church today. So uh, good to see you guys. Uh, I appreciate you. I set up a little screen here. Uh, let's see if I can get this thing up. Uh, good to see you guys, uh, all you are, who are joining us. Um, and uh, if, uh, if you have a question, then you can write the word question down and then reread your question a couple of times and then go ahead and submit it. So I thought maybe I'd go ahead and scroll through here while I'm looking for a question, maybe to add a little bit. Um, what we're hoping to do is to be able to mark in the comment section, they all feed into one place from the three Facebook place pages that we have and YouTube and uh, that all of these feed into one place and I've got to go through them and find the questions. We're hoping to be able to get some software, figure it out where we can mark the questions and that way I don't have to go through them. I can just pull the next question up, but I like being able to put them on the screen. They could text me the questions. I could just read them, but I like being able to put them on the screen, which reminds me that if you want it to be anonymous, just go ahead and put anonymous by it. The people here obviously will be able to see what platform you're on, will be able to see it. But I can ask the question anonymously if you don't want your um, YouTube page or Facebook page being put up on here. Okay. So um, Brittany says, uh, it's not really a question, but I asked which movie you'd like uh, best pertaining to Jesus. And you mentioned the Bible, Smiling Jesus. I have watched it and loved it. Thank you. All right, Brianna. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot too. And um, they actually, did you did you watch the movie? I take it you watched the movie. So they've got the Bible series where they go through Jesus and then they took clips of that and they put it together in a whole movie of Jesus with the same actor. It's interesting when they put out the Bible series, millions of people like, they were like, I don't know how many millions that watched the Old Testament, but as soon as they came to the life of Jesus, 
the numbers bumped and it was just amazing how many more people watched it. How many people are really interested in Jesus? And I think that's why if we lift Jesus up, he will draw all men unto him. Now, I know he meant the cross and the work of the cross, but that's part of it. It's not just Jesus. It's the story. It's the account. It's what happened in the life of Jesus that draws all men unto him. No one who ever died a death like he did, being betrayed by a friend, denied by another friend. The whole thing is massively tragic, and yet it was done for the purpose to rescue and save people. God had a plan in that. And um, what an absolutely amazing thing. Um, I'm trying to think of other movies that I really liked. Um, I, I mean, I like Ben-Hur, um, but then again, I'm old school, right? And if you've never seen Ben-Hur, then it's a great movie to watch. It doesn't follow a lot of biblical themes, but it does have some biblical stuff in it, which is really good. Um, I, I did not get a chance, fact check this hand says, did you get a chance to check out Chuck Mistler's Shady Heavenly Neighborhood? I didn't. Did you give me the the um, message that that, that that is in? If you would give me the message that Chuck Mistler, Mistler had it, and if you can give me, fact check these hands, around the timestamp, because I've got so many things that I'm I'm doing and that I'm studying, and I always feel like I never have enough time to really complete what I'm studying. Uh, and I don't want to sit and watch a whole Chuck Missler message on something that isn't connected to something that I'm studying on. I might watch one if, if, it's, if I think, feel like it's connected, um, but I don't want to do it if it's not connected. So um, I, I would love to hear him. Like I said last week, I would be surprised that he meant that. So the question was asked, Chuck Minster says that when they're thrown into outer darkness from the wedding feast and a couple other references, that that's a, a dark part of heaven, a shady neighborhood in heaven. I think, um, yeah, I don't remember if it's Jari or someone who said that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's, that is not the case. That's definitely not the case. When you go to heaven, you're in heaven, you're in glory and you're there with him. There's not seven heavens, that's a Mormon teaching. And there's not a darker part of heaven. And I, I really like Chuck Mistler. And I think he handles the word of God pretty well. I think sometimes he he exaggerated certain parts of it. Uh, he's since gone to be with the Lord. Um, but overall, a pretty good commentator of the word of God and um, certainly had some unique aspects. And if you've never studied and looked at, listened to anything by Chuck Messler, you might enjoy um, watching a few of his videos. He's got some good stuff uh, that is over on YouTube. All right. So it is good to see you guys. If you're watching us for the very first time, we want to welcome you. We hope that you guys are blessed by watching today as we talk about the Word of God and look at things, uh, look at your questions through the lens of Scripture. If you have a question, go ahead and write the word question or put a Q or a question mark in front of it and then write out your question. Reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. If you um, want it to be anonymous, then put anonymous in front of it, and I won't bring it up on uh, the screen. All right, so we have a question now from Katz. Uh, just submitted it. Katz says, uh, I thought the Apostle John died a natural death. Some say he was martyred upon returning from Patmos. So what we know about the end of John's life doesn't come to us through Scripture. It comes to us through history. And the history is in the island of Patmos. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I got that. Um, 
history tells us, historians, um, we know that one of John's disciples was Polycarp. Polycarp was was martyred in Smyrna. And um, then Polycarp's disciple was, oh man, I, I can't remember now. I want to say Irenaeus, but I'm not, I'm just having my brain a little, I can't, the cogs aren't working right up there now. Um, but anyway, within just a couple generations of John, we're told that he was arrested by Diomitian, that he was exiled to the island of Patmos, that that's where he wrote the book of Revelation from. These are very early sources, and we would give them a lot of, of credibility. Uh, it all, the, they also say that the Nicolaitans were followers of the deacon Nicholas, who taught people that they could be, that they, because God says he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans in the book of Revelation, uh, that they they could just sin. It didn't matter. The body was separate from the spirit, kind of kind of like what would become Gnosticism. Um, but Nicholas seemed to be licentious. And uh, maybe Paul was even writing against that in Romans 6 when he said to not, um, that we should not continue and said that grace might abound. Could have been these teachings that were out there. But anyway, all of this we get from early church history within the first, uh, second century. Second century would be 100 199. And we have a lot of information that far back that talks about John. Now, um, once he was released from the island of Patmos, he was arrested by Diomitian. He was boiled in oil. He survived. Then he was exiled to the Patmos Island. Then he, um, they say he was released. And I don't know the different accounts or who it was who said that he went back to Ephesus and continued to pastor there. Others that he went, um, others that that he died a natural death. But what you're going to have to do, or what I'll do someday when I get enough chance, when I get a chance, is to go and look up John's death and then try to look at a scholarly work that has footnotes in it that will tell you what the the documents from the early church history are that tell us how John died. Because what we know about John, we don't get from the Bible, we get from early history, but it's not bad history, it's good history. We just can't take it like it's scripture, all right? So um, we have a, we have a follow-up question. Thank you for your question, by the way, Kat. We have a follow-up question by uh, Fact Check These Hands. In Fact Check These Hands says, I need to adjust some things here. All right. Fact Check These Sands says, follow up. It's a book he and his wife wrote and published in 2007 called The Kingdom, Power, and Glory, The Overcomer's Handbook. Uh, do me a favor. Fact Check These Sands, do you have the book? If you have it, then take a picture of the pages and or give, tell me what the pages are. Maybe I can look them up, but send them to me at robert at calvarytucson.com. All right. And um, I will take a look at it. Um, I'm going to be really interested uh, to know that. The Kingdom, Power, and Glory. I'm not sure that I can even get um, the Overcomer's Handbook, but I would love to get it. Um, but if, you could, if you've got the book, take some pictures and then let me take a look at it. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. So we have a question from Vivian. Vivian says, uh, Pastor, I grew up watching horror movies. Me too. Uh, is watching horror movies a sin? Now, I don't say that I grew up watching horror movies. Um, I did grow up watching um, 
Dark Shadows, if you remember that television show, and uh, the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone. I would get up at night, I put a blanket over my head. There was a TV in my room, a black and white TV in my room. And I put a blanket over the TV and myself. I turned the TV on, then I would turn the dial really slowly to put it on uh, Twilight Zone or Dark Shadows, and then I would watch that. And then by the time I'm a teenager, I'm watching the typical horror movies um, that come out then. Um, I think, Vivian, these are, these are gray areas when it comes to whether or not you watch a horror movie and what the horror movie is glorifying and what you're watching in it. So the Bible tells us to think on things that are holy and pure and loving and kind. And so we've got to take all of that into account. Is this edifying you? Is it not edifying you? Is there negative fruit that comes from watching these horror movies? What we don't want to do is become legalistic and tell people, they can't watch something that may be okay to watch. What we can say is morally when there are certain things that we should not watch, that we shouldn't watch programs in it that have certain moral things in it because they plant seeds and every seed that is planted ends up growing and producing things that are in our lives. And so I today don't watch many horror shows and quite frankly, I'm not interested in them. And I don't know if this is just something that God's done inside of me. You know, the Bible says the inner man is being renewed day by day, but the outer man is perishing. And I don't know if it's just something that God's done inside of me where I just have no interest or desire to watch a horror show. I was fascinated with them as a kid. I snuck into The Exorcist. I wasn't 16 yet and it was an R-rated movie, and I snuck into it. I don't know how many times, buying a ticket for another movie and then sneaking over uh, to see The Exorcist because I was fascinated with it. And this was before I was saved, right before I was saved, because I was interested in spiritual things. And so, um, yeah, Vivian, I would, I would just say be careful and look at the kind of fruit that is, comes out of your life and why do you want to watch them? Are they just entertainment? Are there other things that you can watch that are entertainment? Is there some spiritual aspect to them that you as a Christian might be interested in spiritual things, and now you're watching someone that isn't making anything that's really true about the spiritual world? They're clueless in movies, right? And they, they say all kinds of things that are not even true. The Exorcist did it as well. And uh, so maybe ask yourself why you would be interested in that. And um, rather than making a rule, about what you can watch or can't watch if it doesn't have really bad stuff in it, then maybe asking why you should watch it or shouldn't watch it and what you're hoping to gain from it. And it might help, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it, Vivian. Wanna be careful to really encourage you to seek righteousness and putting your mind on the proper place, but not legalistic doing things because we choose to do them, but not giving ourselves over to something that's sinful. All right. So that's just kind of the, the area that I'm trying to really walk in. I want us, we know that we want to put our mind on what's true and honorable and glorifying and horror movies are not that. And um, however, I don't want to judge people who are maybe watching something for whatever reason they're watching it. Um, but Again, watching bad things, you know, is is um, is not good either. 
Okay. So question, I'm studying the Beatitudes. <laughs> are, you, are you studying the Beatles? <laughs> oh, which one? Paul, Ringo, uh, John? Um, I'm studying the, the Beatles. Are uh, the Beatitudes, are these basically the characteristics of a repentant heart, the fruit of repentance? Well, let's go ahead and take a look uh, at that. And um, let's see if we can tell by looking at what the Beatitudes are. So I think it's chapter five, isn't it? Right in the beginning. Uh, the Beatitudes. Let me go ahead and put them up on the screen, Kimberly. Um, good to be studying the Beatitudes better than watching horror movies to be studying the Beatitudes. Uh, so here it says, and seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. He opened up his mouth and taught them saying, so he's teaching his disciples. There are a multitude of people who are there, but he's teaching his disciples. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that certainly is repentance. You're poor in spirit. You're humble. And that's the way you receive Christ and invite him into your life, by being humble. If you are prideful, you're probably going to stay away from him. So that one definitely. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I don't know that this is repentance. Um, I think you could connect it, that when you mourn over your sin, then you're going to be comforted because your sins are going to be forgiven. But I think Jesus is saying in general that there is a blessing even when you do mourn or when you grieve because you will find comfort. I know this verse was, was really important to me when I was grieving over the loss of my late wife, Lisa, uh, because it says you're going to be comforted. There will be an end to the, to the grieving. And um, when, you're, when you're living with someone and life is going on a certain way and they're suddenly gone, it can be very brutal. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, so meek, strength under control. Um, again, a connection to humility. So that could be connected to salvation. I think the first three could be, for sure. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think that could be connected to um, repentance and salvation as well. Uh, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy so god's giving us mercy and we want to be merciful maybe yeah that could be connected to salvation as well as just the christian life blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see god because our sins are forgiven yeah i think that could be connected to salvation as well blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of god so we want to be peacemakers because we now have peace with god i don't know that this can be connected to salvation the way the other ones can the, the first one certainly can. I don't know about peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, I think as I make my way through here, uh, Kimberly, that I would say that these are the Christian life, all the way from the porn spirit, which is your kingdom of heaven. And then as you're living for Christ, you end up being persecuted. Blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. So yeah, I would say that this is kind of making it through the beginning of the Christian life, you know, you're, where you gain heaven, and then what happens in us. And um, this, this may be powerful when we look at it this way, Kimberly. Um, let's go ahead and just pick it back up again here. Let's look at this. Okay, blessed are those, um, blessed are, are the poor in spirit, for they are for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you humble yourself, you cry out to God, you ask him to forgive you, and now you have the kingdom of heaven. You have eternity. And then after that, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. Maybe not only are you mourning for your own sin, but now as a Christian, you're seeing things in the world that cause you to mourn. You're seeing things in the world that cause you to grieve because you've given your life to Christ. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. We need to have strength under control. We need to, if somebody asks us to go one mile, we go two miles. If someone takes our, our coat, we give them our shirt as well. Uh, we, if someone stops us on the right cheek, we turn to them the other cheek. These are all kinds of being meek. And so as a Christian, we are not demanding our rights, but we are looking to bless people and to live for them. And when we do that, we're blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And this happens to us as believers. If we love Jesus, we want to do the things he's called us to do. We want to live the way he wants us to live. First John says, if you say you love God, but you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. And the truth isn't in you. And so this desire for righteousness is something that happens as you become a Christian. And in fact, this is the sign that you've committed your life to Christ. If you say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to do what God wants me to do, then you don't have the sign of what a new, what uh, someone who's committed their lives to him. Because if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. And if you say you love him, but you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. And so righteousness is the end result. It doesn't mean we're always righteous and it doesn't mean we never sin, but righteousness is a result of that. And then blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So as now as Christians, we're being merciful to people around us. Uh, Jesus said a little bit later on, the mercy you give is the mercy you receive. And then blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Um, this might get back to our horror movie a little bit. Um, we wanna keep our heart pure and set on God. And we could say pure here, not just as holy, but as sincere, as sincerely following God, really desiring to do what he wants you to do and living for him, not pretend. And the reason legalism is so bad when you make rules is because you start to think that's what being pure in heart is. But all you're doing is following rules you've set up, which may or may not be right. Then blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called the sons of God, which is what God wants us to do as Christians. And then blessed are those who are persecuted. So I know I went through that twice uh, there, Kimberly. Wrong button. Uh, went through that twice there, Kimberly. But I do think, as we look at it, it's the it's the, the changes that happen in the Christian life. And when you give your life to Christ, these are things that happen to you, and you're blessed because of them, because you've made a commitment to Him. All right? Um, and I see the, the connection that you made between um, rep uh, the fruit of repentance. The first one, certainly, but then I just think it's going through the Christian life and some main areas in our life uh, that we wanna be serving God, all right? So we have a question from Amanda. Amanda, good to see you. Good to have you join us. Amanda joins us from Facebook. Um, Pastor Furrow, do you believe we're in Revelation? In my opinion, I believe we are. I listen to our Bible, by the way, what happens politically wise says everything to me. All right, thank you, Amanda, for your question. Um, I don't believe that we are, and I'm going to show you why. I'm going to bring up a passage here that I think is going to be able to help. And um, it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, they believed that they were in the tribulation period. And Paul writes them to tell them that they're not. And I don't think that we are. And I, and I want to show you this. So let me put the scriptures up on the, the screen for you here. This is uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So we say that that is Jesus returning and our gathering to him. That's where we meet him in the clouds, in the air, and we will forever be with the Lord. And then in that time, it's a resurrection. 
Remember, this gathering isn't just this event where those who are alive are suddenly transformed and taken up into heaven, but it's the resurrection of all the those who are in Christ up to that point. For he brings with him those who are in Christ, and then those who are alive and remain will meet him in the air, and they rise first. And we're changing a moment and twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians. So concerning the coming of Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter. So some spirit that kind of lays on you that, that the event has already happened or by word, somebody telling you, or by a letter as if from Paul, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. That is that you're now living in the tribulation period. The day of Christ had already come. He says, by any, um, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, this word for falling away here is apostasia. And it is speaking of one of two things. It's talking about the great falling away that we talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. That there are doctrines of demons and there's going to be this great falling away in the last days. So it's talking about perhaps that. And I think we're seeing that today. I think this deconversion thing that's happening among progressive Christian Christianity is part of that great falling away. Could I be wrong? And could it be another event? Sure. But there's is this great falling away that will take place. And that's got to happen before we're in the day of the Lord. And then the other thing that has to happen is that the Antichrist would be revealed. It doesn't say he would be revealed first. This is where people misread this. It says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the fallen away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. The and the man of sin is revealed doesn't say and first as well the man of sin. It says and the man of sin is revealed. That the first, when Jesus tells, tears the first seal, I think it's Revelation chapter six, maybe seven, he tears the first seal and outrides the white horse, which is a conqueror, which is the Antichrist. He's the first one on the scene in the tribulation period, the Antichrist. So if Amanda, you think you're in the, the tribulation period, then you got to ask yourself, who's the Antichrist? Look around you today. And who is it? Joe Biden? Donald Trump? There's, there are those who say it. Um, I don't think it is. Um, he seems to be accepted by the Jewish people. So a lot of people have thought that the Antichrist would be Jewish. I don't know that he needs to be. Um, he is connected to Rome in some way and uh, politically because he is the ruler of the revived Roman Empire when he is revealed. And here goes on to tell some things about him. He is the man of sin, is revealed, the son of perdition, who and exalts himself above all that is called God and is worshiped and sits as God in the temple of God. That's the abomination of desolation. That happens during the tribulation period. So all of that to say, Amanda, that I don't believe that we are in the tribulation period. We may be close. Things may be coming together like it was the tribulation period, but I don't believe that we are in the days of the book of Revelation. Now, by the way, Amanda, we are studying the book of Revelation right now. We have five more letters to the churches. Before God judges the world in chapter six through 18 in the book of Revelation, he judges the church in chapters two and three. And we're looking at his words to the church right now. We've seen that we're supposed to love God and not serve him out of duty, but serve him out of love because the church at Ephesus had begun to serve him out of duty and they'd left their first love and God won't put up with that. Our relationship with him is to be out of love. And then the second church was a suffering church. She doesn't say anything bad about him. 
but he encourages them to persevere, to not worry about the things they were going to suffer and to not be afraid of death. And then he promises that they can overcome as well. So we have the next five churches, and then we're going to get into the heavenly vision, chapters four and five. And then chapter six is the seal, first seal that is broken. All right. So thank you, Amanda, for your interest in that. If you have a follow-up question, if I just haven't answered everything, um, if you have other questions about that particularly, I would appreciate that. So we have a follow-up from Psychman45. Psychman says, follow-up. Seems language is too intense to be referring to slander, like Saul of Tarsus and John 16.2 type people. Persecution, murder, coming from people who say they think they are God's people. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Psychman. I appreciate that. Um, well, what else? When, when you look at it and you go, why does he refer to them as the synagogue of Satan? And then he's going to take them. I think this is in Philadelphia. Maybe it's in, maybe it's in Smyrna. Let me get there. I just taught it. You'd think I'd, you'd think I'd remember it. Let me get there and let's take a, let's take a look at it. Uh, so it's um, Revelation 2, starting in verse 7, right? Yeah, starting in verse 8. So let's go ahead and put this up on the screen here. Uh, Psych man, we'll take a look at it. So it says, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write these things, says the first and last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. The word tribulation comes from a torture where they would put rocks on people and crush them to death. It was a form of execution and a form of getting people to 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 uh, confess and so he says your tribulation you're pressured uh, smyrna was the producer of myrrh myrrh had to be crushed to have a fragrant aroma he talks about them under tribulation being crushed and a fragrant aroma will come from it first of all is their poverty because they had been sent in a great poverty because they were not part they would not do the roman uh, emperor cult which was the uh, smyrna was the warden of the emperor cult and they would not they would not do it. And because of that, they couldn't work there. Plus, they wouldn't be part of the trade guilds. And so they were sent into great poverty. This is the first of their tribulations being crushed for that fragrant aroma and the blasphemy. So blasphemy are words um, of those who say they are the synagogue of Satan. And that's why scholars, it's not just me, but scholars believe that there were slanders taking place. And there is some evidence in history that these Jews were slandering Christians. Uh, Christianity was not a sanctioned religion. Jewish Judaism was a sanctioned religion. So you've got to ask yourself, if this isn't slander, what is the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not? And why? Let's read on here. Um, but are the synagogue of Satan, but do not fear any of these things you're about to suffer. That's their third tribulation, which is suffering. The second would be the slander of the synagogue of Satan. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. All right, now let me go over to, let me go ahead and bring you out here. So I'll make you guys dizzy. And let me go to Revelation 3. And... I want to go to the Church of Philadelphia. Let's see where we're at. It's Philadelphia, which is uh, starts in verse seven, and I'm going to scan this. I want to find 
Um, I don't want to read this whole thing here, um, but let me, there we go. So we want verse nine. Let me bring this up. Indeed, I will make those who will, those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and not, but they lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So this is one of the reasons we connect this with slander because they are brought before the feet of the ones who they slandered and they are made to worship Christ so that those who slandered them or blasphemed would know that they loved them. So we connect this synagogue of Satan to the accusing and why they're called Satan again is because Satan accuses us day and night. Uh, he is the accuser, the slanderer of the brethren. And that's exactly what they were doing. So I don't think that the words are too harsh, uh, psych man. I think they fit really well once you start looking at all of the aspects of what's there. But I appreciate that follow-up question. All right. And um, if you join us here for the very first time, really good to see you guys. If you have a question, you can write the word question out and then reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. And we'll take time uh, to take a look at it. All right. Let's see. Let's see. And God. Um, okay. Um, All right, uh, we have a question from Kay. I'm just kind of reading through some of the comments while I'm looking for questions. Um, so Kay has a question. Uh, Kay, good to see you. Kay says, question, do you think God removed Adam and Eve from the garden out of love instead of anger? He didn't want them to live forever in a sinful body separated from him. A redemption plan all along. Yes, I do. Um, and if you go back to it and you look at it, he removes them from the garden so they don't eat of the tree of life and live forever. And so he says the angel there with a sword that turns every way and keeps people out of the garden of Eden. So I, I do think it's out of love. Um, and as far as separated from God, a redemption plan all along. Yeah. Okay. I think that this is a redemption plan. So God created a world where he was going to give men choice. That's right out of the chute because Adam and Eve have a choice to eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. He could have put a barrier around it so they couldn't get to it, but he allowed them to have a choice. So he created a world where there was choice. He also allowed evil to influence the world, which means that God has a plan and a purpose for evil. And it may be the testing, tempting of believers that through that temptation, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And we are to pray that we would be delivered from evil and not be tempted. Um, the Bible says God doesn't tempt anyone. So in order for there to be a tempter, it had to be evil that would tempt us. And we are forged, I believe, in the fire of suffering and of testing. And that testing sometimes is temptation. And I, I can make a connection with scripture right now, but I won't. Uh, but it's temptation is testing, part of temptation, of uh, testing and that we're hardened, like steel is hardened in the flame, in the furnace, in the fire. And so we're hardened in the, the, the furnace, the flame, and the fire through the world that God has created. And that what we see that people question, what about suffering? Usually with some emotional question about a child that's being hurt. Yes, I understand. 
But sometimes I think that you're using the child that is hurt as a way to try to make a point and you won't ever get past the child to some of the things that the Bible says and how God might be using suffering. We live in a fallen world and innocent people suffer and sometimes children suffer. And that is horrific. But God's plan all along was to save through these things and to save people out of this world. And so I do think it was a redemptive plan from the very beginning. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I guess the question for Scary Movies Psych Man was Halloween, right? It's just around the corner. Uh, I always um, kind of forget. the. Um, we started at the end of October in 1985. Our church started. We came down to plant the church. We came from Albuquerque to Tucson to plant the church in 1985. So this month, we are celebrating 37 years of being of, of uh, pastoring. I've been the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Tucson for 37 years. I was 12 years old when we planted the church. And just in case you're trying to do math inside your head, no, I was 25 years old when we started the church uh, 37 years ago. So, um, <clears throat> and it's been a real blessing, although there've been hard times, difficult times, tough times, but it also is a joy to be able to serve people. Remember Hebrew says, let it be a joy for your pastor to lead you because it would be unprofitable for you if it wasn't. And that doesn't mean God's going to get you if you don't make it a joy for us pastors to be able to lead. It simply means what good is in it in making a pastor's life miserable instead of making it a joy for him to be able to pastor you. Far better. And God wants it to be a joy for us to be able to really pastor and pour into people's lives. So um, I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, let's see. Um, I get a little sidetracked here on, on your comments. Uh, we have a question. Um, Live Phoenix, I think it's your first time that you've been here. Um, Live Phoenix says, did God make the Israelites to wander 40 years in the wilderness, not really as a punishment to discipline them, but to make the nation they have to be? I was just wondering about this. All right. So, we're talking about God using evil, suffering, temptations, the fire to harden us, to make us hardened steel, to make us into the men and women God wants us to, to, to be. Um, but when we go back to the account of the children of Israel coming to the promised land and rejecting it, maybe God uses all things together for his good, but it was their lack of faith. They had a genuine choice. They could have gone into the land but they chose to believe the nine spies instead of Joshua and Caleb. And, be, and Joshua and Caleb said, trust God. He'll take care of us. He'll fight for us. God will be with us. So I think God gives people literal choices. I think they're real choices. To me, if God were giving us choices and then not allowing us to choose, that would be deception on God's part. So in other words, if God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land, I'm going to bring you into the promised land, we're sending in spies, now God's bringing them in, but he's not going to let them go in. That seems to be deception. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If you can't choose this day whom you will serve, that seems to be deception. Choose, choose you this day whom you will serve. Psych, you can't really choose because I want to make you go the other way. I think that God in his foreknowledge knows the directions that we're going to go and predestines our lives accordingly, especially to be predestined in the image of Jesus. 
And I think biblical predestination is not what a lot of people say that it is. So, um, yeah, I, I think God used the wilderness experience to forge the next generation. Could God have forged them in another way? There's plenty of things in life to do that, yes. And so I don't think that God, I don't believe that God predetermined or preordained the decisions to do evil for them to not have belief. I, I don't believe that. There are those who do, but I don't believe it. And um, there, there are several reasons why um, that is the, the case. Um, so I don't know, um, Kat, what your question is there. Are there times when a woman desires to marry maybe a non-believer? I don't know. I'd be guessing. So I'll go ahead and go buy it. Uh, good to see you guys. I love the fellowship that's being built here as we are doing this. I think this is the 111th episode. It seems like it can't be that much, but I believe it is. And um, there we go. So let's bring this question in by Kat. Kat says, are there times when a woman desires to marry and have children, but no husband arrives? Or were they called, were they called to singleness? Um yeah, let me, let's just think about this for a minute. Is there a time when women desire to marry and have children, but no husband arrives? Yeah, I think there are times when that happens. And were they called to singleness? I don't know. Maybe the husband did arrive, but wasn't wanted by the woman. Maybe, I yeah, I, I, there, I, there could be a gazillion side routes to this, right? Why a woman would desire to be married and no husband would arrive. Would, would arrive. Um, maybe it's her cross to bear that she would desire that, but she would give it up to God and live for him. Um, maybe she has been looking in the right places. I don't, I don't know. Um, I just don't think there's any way to answer that question. Those kind of questions are really hard to answer. Um, were they called the singleness because the husband didn't arrive? It takes a lot of um, me filling in a lot of blanks that I don't feel comfortable filling in to be able to um, to be able to answer a question like that. All right. Um, So let's see, uh, Jari, I see your question there. I'm going to look and see if we've got another question. If not, I'll come back to it. All right. Trying to do one question per person. Uh, and, um, let's see what time is it? Um, 450. So we've got about 10 minutes left. If you have a question, then you can write the word question down, then you can submit it and, um, make sure it makes sense and go ahead and submit it. So I'll answer Jari's question. If we don't have another question, then we'll wrap it up a few minutes early today. Jari says, um, why a tree specifically? Could God have used something else to test Adam and Eve? Um, why a tree specifically? Mm, boy, there, there actually could be an answer to your question, Jari. At first I look at it and go, I don't know, but a tree in the garden, Jesus would die on a tree the tree of life, the tree of good and evil. There, there's a motif of trees throughout the Bible. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So, you know, there, there could be a connection. God was using this as a motif throughout the Bible. 
and taking time to study the different trees that are in the Bible, you can learn a lot from them and connect them to Jesus dying on a tree. Those who are cursed are hung on a tree and he became a curse for us so we wouldn't be under curse, a curse. Um, so that's why I think that he used trees. Now, could he have used a motif of uh, bushes or a motif of, um, I don't know, homes? I mean, he could have used any motif that he wanted to, to bring them th through, I guess, but this is the one, this is the one that he chose. All right. So yeah, I think it's a good, interesting study. I think there's a lot more to it than uh, what we might just think. And that's the case in a lot of, a lot of times in scripture. All right. So it's been good to be with you guys. So we are starting next week's uh, uh, Wednesday night's Q and A with the voices of demons under the Epaphrath Dam. Uh, we're going to see if I can import that and bring it in and we'll take a listen to it. And then we'll talk about what we think about it um, when we do that. All right. So that's where we're starting next week. God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. We have a service in about an hour and um, we'll be talking about, we're, about change. Jesus had this little section in verses 35 through 38 in Luke 22, where he talks about the change that's coming to them. And I think it's likely that people have never heard an entire sermon on just these verses. And yet there are so many things that are there. We're gonna be talking some about self-defense. We're gonna be talking about when life changes and um, what purpose God had in sharing uh, this with them and the things that we can learn from it. It really is a great passage. And I love that we've slowed down to even begin to cover passages that people don't normally cover. So that'll be, uh, that'll be this, that'll be tonight and uh, tomorrow morning. And I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to being in that. Our next church in line in the book of Revelation is in still in chapter two. And I think it's Pergamos, uh, which, um, yeah, Pergamos, which is the compromising church. And um, so we'll be looking at no compromise. We'll be talking about what compromises are uh, in that study. Uh, maybe even I'll bring up the ideas of like horror movies and those kind of things and whether or not those are compromises. So I want to keep compromise out of our lives. All right. So God bless you guys. Love you. Appreciate you. Uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. And I hope you guys stay close to Jesus. Let him do the work inside of you. Serve and follow him sincerely and love one another. Love the people around you. Do what you do out of love, not out of bitterness, envy, slander, malice. Let that be put away from you, the Bible says, when it comes to one another and truly love each other. All right? If you got a pastor that's not me, then uh, make it a joy. Go out of your way to make it a joy for him to serve you because that's what God's desire was. All right? God bless you guys. Love you. I'm out. We will see you uh, next Wednesday as uh, we talk about uh, uh, fact check these hands questions about the Euphrates River and demons crying out from under it. All right, God bless you guys. We'll see you later on.